Hey, Pars Per Billion listeners, it's David Schultz here. Just wanted to let you know that we're going to be moving our environmental coverage to another podcast. It's a show called On the Merits. We dig into a huge range of legal topics, and now we're going to be adding environmental, a lot of that. That also means we won't be posting new episodes of Pars Per Billion as much, but don't worry, we'll still be putting out great environmental episodes on On the Merits. If you're not already, go subscribe to On the Merits wherever fine podcasts can be found. Okay, now on to today's episode. Firefighters are rethinking their relationship with PFAS and with the companies that make it. Today on the podcast, we talk about the liabilities that fire departments might face and about why it looks like firefighters themselves are lawyering up. Hello and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the military's use of PFAS and why that's been so problematic. But today we're looking at the civilian side and talking about firefighters. Fire departments used and still use a lot of PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. And as you'll learn in a bit, it's not just in the AFFF or aqueous film forming foam that they spray on fires. As a result of this, fire departments might have a significant amount of liability here, and Bloomberg Law reporters Andrew Wallander and Pat Rizzuto have been examining this emerging legal issue. In a bit, we'll hear from Andrew about the claims individual firefighters might file, but first I asked Pat to give me a sense of what exactly the liability for fire departments might look like. Local fire departments are going to be affected in in different ways, but they're hit by the PFAS conundrum in a whole bunch of ways. They've used AFFF, that's the PFAS-containing firefighting foam, um, for decades because it was simply the most effective way to put out fires, particularly ones that involved fuel or chemicals that burned. So, you know, they've sprayed the chemicals around, they've gotten the chemicals into their body at higher levels than you or I, and they're likely to have old foam on their shelves and have had it in their truck. So they're going to have to clean out their own trucks. Maybe if they're a municipal fire department, they'll get some taxpayer dollars to do that. Or if they're a local rural, you know, volunteer fire department, they're going to have to have more spaghetti dinners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I want to just briefly belabor what you just said because there was a lot there. Uh, the firefighters themselves are could be sick. The trucks, then the fire stations could be contaminated. There could be legacy contamination in the water near places where they've sprayed this foam. Those are all three separate things, and the departments have to deal with all of those. Right. Yeah. Where is the litigation heading here? Um, because I'm wondering who's getting sued. Are, are, are the fire departments getting sued? And if so, how are they handling that? Yes, they have been sued. Um, I know of one case in New Jersey where a company that had had a fire incident sued the tender fire departments that responded to it um, because they used AFFF. Um, that is case is pending, but basically attorneys have told me that is the future, especially once EPA starts regulating two of the common ingredients in AFFF as hazardous substances under the Superfund law, which it has said it will do this year. So just to make sure I understand, this is someone who the, there was a fire that was put out on their property and they're suing the the fire department. I mean, I don't want to belittle this, this claim of action because, it, as we've talked about, PFAS is very toxic, but still, that's a pretty remarkable situation. Yeah, it just strikes every unfair chord <laughs> in your body. But yes, 
they're more and more likely to do that the tighter these are regulated because they're hugely expensive to clean up. So they're going to be looking for other people to help pay the dollar. And uh, even if down the road, you know, EPA or their state, you know, environmental department, you know, closes the eye because, after all, um, you're saving lives. Um, right, exactly. We kind of want you to do that. You don't, you don't win a lot of votes by uh, going after, you know, firefighting heroes. Yes. Um, still, the private companies that have to play, pay cleanup are going to be looking for dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's another cost that we haven't touched on, but that's also going to be expensive, which is replacing uh, the foams with something else that works really well. I get the sense that the military is pretty far along in doing this and sort of saying, hey, we've developed new chemicals that are just as good or almost as good as PFAS. Let's replace those. Is the is that going to put pressure on fire departments to do the same thing to replace their, these chemicals? Absolutely. The Pentagon did meet Congress's mandate, and it has developed its requirements for fire suppressants that can put out the types of incidents that it deals with. Planes crashing into am piles of ammo yeah. <laughs> on land. Um, and it's, it's researched the alternatives, and it says, yes, there are ones that can do this just as well or cl close enough. So it's, it's put out its requirements. Within a couple of months, we're going to start seeing it identifying the specific companies and products that it will purchase. Right. Mm -hmm. However, um, you have reported on this many, many times in your career uh, where we replace one toxic chemical with another one. And as it turns out, the replacement is also somewhat or very toxic itself. Uh, are we potentially running into that situation here where the replacements also have their own issues? Um, quite possibly. Ooh, um, there uh -oh. is at least one state that has chosen to provide, at least on a temporary basis, fire departments with a substitute for the AFFF, but the substitute also, according to tests run in the European Union, also has PFAS. Uh-oh. So, um, yes, buyer beware. Um, however, that said, and I need to add this caveat, I've been told over and over that fire departments care about performance. They just don't think about safety because they want that fire out as quickly as possible. That's what they're focused on. Get it out. But let's talk about the safety of the firefighters themselves because they've been using PFAS for a long time and the damage has been done here. Uh, Andrew, you reported that it seems like the firefighters union is kind of gearing up for a big legal fight over PFAS exposure. Um, can you tell me about what they're actually doing and why that's significant? Yeah, so this this came recently. The International Association of Firefighters um, announced that it's partnering with three law firms to help connect its members uh, to lawyers who can help them with potential litigation over exposure uh, to PFAS if they if they've developed cancer and one of the cancers that has been linked to PFAS. 
they've had these three law firms now. They're going to be working with those members. And they're also trying to change things on the regulatory side as well, because as things stand, the uh, NFPA standards for firefighter gear currently requires uh, moisture barriers in firefighter gear to be UV resistant and PFAS is the only thing that can meet those requirements. So there's no way right now for PFAS not to be in firefighters gear. So it's worth pointing out, you know, we've talked about on this podcast and and earlier today, we've talked about exposure through PFAS from spraying foam that contains PFAS. But that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about exposure through clothes and protective gear that is coated with PFAS. Right. Is that does that pose a different risk to the firefighters? It, it it does in in some cases. I mean, because not everyone uses a triple F foam. Uh, not not all firefighters do, but many firefighters that are working in cities fighting structural fires, uh, they wear what's tr- called turnout gear or bunker gear, um, and that that is where there's a concern that there's PFAS in there. So there's potentially more exposure uh, to a, a bigger set of people. I want to circle back, though, to something that you said, which is that the firefighters union is partnering with law firms. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is very different than suing. Right. Um, It doesn't sound like the firefighters union are filing suits. They're just maybe making these firms available to uh, their members. What's the distinction there? Why is the firefighters union not filing suit itself? Yeah, that's something I asked the the president about, uh, President Kelly, when I when I spoke with him about this, and uh, he said that they're keeping their options open right now. So it, it seems like the door is open for a potential lawsuit uh, from the firefighters union. But at this time, they're focused more on getting their individual members access to to filing suit, and they're also trying to change those rules at the NFPA um, and and put the pressure on that way. The main reason why I ask about that, about the sort of the distinction between you know, what they're doing is because I know from your reporting that this main firefighters union has a long and interesting relationship with right. uh, PFAS makers and with the, well, specifically with the companies that make this gear. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? It sounds like they've, the union has received a lot of money from these companies in the past. Right. This was something we looked back uh, in early 2021 at and uh, did a dive into the financial records of the International Association of Firefighters and, and found that, uh, yeah, they had received almost half a million dollars from gear makers and, and manufacturers for sponsorships and uh, donations. And, and one of the things that really stuck out to me in, in reporting that story was when uh, I was watching a, a clip of a, a cancer summit that the Firefighters Union had hosted uh, several years ago. And the uh, president of the union at the time introduced uh, the conference by thanking DuPont and <laughs> some of the manufacturers that were sponsoring this conference. And, and you know, given what we know today, it was uh, sort of a questionable <laughs> sponsorship for, for a, a summit on, on cancer. So, so shortly, shortly after that, in, in, uh, I think that story came out in January 2021, uh, but there are already conversations um, at the union to break away from these partnerships uh, with some of these companies as more was coming out about uh, PFAS and some of the gear. Well, and didn't I think in your reporting, you said they went even further and that they they ousted the president and put in a new president who was sort of a, a, had a much harsher stance toward these companies. Right. Right. So there, there was a, a election uh, shortly after that as well um, in, in early 2021. And um, so the president who is now the president and Kelly one and and he's been very 
adamant uh, about uh, PFAS as an issue and kind of bringing it to the forefront of the union and, and trying to make this something that the health and safety is a, is a big focus. Ultimately, and I want to wrap up by sort of asking where you think this is going. Um, you know, I get the sense that the I, I can understand why the firefighters union was very close with the gear makers because these this protective gear is literally life saving. You know, it, it protects the lives of firefighters. But of course, it's now we know it's also potentially toxic. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is going to change the way that firefighters think about the risks and the trade-offs that, you know, to save lives, we have to expose ourselves to toxic chemicals and that that mindset may be changing? I think it definitely is. I mean, talking to some of the people who attended this conference and, and, and firefighters, uh, it's something that's very much at the forefront of their minds um, with with the work that they do. And uh, there was a, a moment, I wasn't at the uh, training session where this uh, initiative with the law firms was revealed, but there was, there was a moment uh, where, you know, someone asked, do you know someone who has been affected by cancer in, in the fire service? And everyone's hands went up. And so it, it's something that's very, uh, a very present issue for them. So I, I think there's a lot more attention, a lot more firefighters are aware of this issue now. What I have noticed is there's a real difference in the firefighter response to the gear issue versus the firefighting foam. And I think you just put your finger on it, David. I mean, their gear is their lifeboat. It's their submarine. Mm -hmm. It allows them to go into literal hell. Mm -hmm. It saves their lives. And they have such a close relationship with their gear. Yeah. Um, that it's a much more emotional and fervent um, feeling of absolute betrayal. Yeah. The foam, it sprayed away from them. You know, they know that they were using what they were told was the best product out there, and they do know it worked. It's not as as emotional a response. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the psychological distinction between the foam and the the gear that's you're right it's on their person it's on their body and they they you know there's a difference there Hmm. all right well that was uh pat rizzuto and andrew wallander talking about pfas and firefighters and where uh we're heading uh thank you guys so much for talking and that's it for today's episode of parts per billion if you want more environmental news check out our website news.bloomberglaw.com Today's Parts Rebellion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Rebellion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Renee Schof. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.